electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people, my friends, I'm just trying to save a little money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach you, and put tough days like today in context. So call me, 1-800-743-CNBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Sometimes we have no idea what some big bad event means to the market. So what do we do? We figure we might as well sell, 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 sell. sell. That's how I feel about Wall Street's reaction when Fitch, the ratings agency, took our country's debt down a notch last night thanks to our dysfunctional federal government. They know nothing! Fitch previously rated our debt triple A, and now it says we're double A+. The decision came out of the blue and helped bring our a torrent of selling, Dow tumbling 348 points, S&P plunging 1.38%, and the Nasdaq plummeting 2.17%. Did the wholesale dumping of stocks make sense, though? Actually, yes, if you're a portfolio manager who abandons stocks when interest rates go up, which is what happened pretty viciously in the wake of the debt downgrade, treasuries seemingly can't be worth as much as they were before Fitch sighted hammer. So the thing goes, stocks therefore can't be worth as much either as hundreds of billions of dollars change hands based on the direction of bond yields. When those yields go up, rates go higher, people automatically sell Sell, stocks. sell, sell. It didn't help that Fitch added we could see a recession if the economy slows. No kidding. Very hard to see a recession if the economy doesn't slow. Now, in this business, it's axiomatic that the stocks that get hurt the worst when rates go up are the high flyers. The stocks that trade based on the prospects far out in the future. The techs. So they experience a huge amount of pain. Now, I want you to take Kramer Fave advanced micro devices. Last night, AMD reported a truly fine quarter with tremendous growth in semiconductors for, for artificial intelligence. The stock immediately shot up six points in after-hour trading. You knew it was going to be a terrific day the next day for AMD based on these terrific fundamentals. Then out of nowhere, we got the Fitch downgrade. Yeah. If U.S. Treasuries slipped to their double A-plus rating, AMD's stock went from being up $6 to being down $8. Having interviewed the CEO, Lisa Sue, this morning on Squawk on the Street, I can tell you nothing else happened here beyond the sovereign debt downgrade. Consider it the control, like in a lab experiment. 14-point swings based on the bonds, not the stock, not the fundamentals of the company. Does any of this make sense? Look, you could easily argue that our government is dysfunctional because every time it's time to raise the debt ceiling, the two parties go out at hammer and tongs with a real danger that the bills won't get paid. It's definitely not good that these standoffs happen regularly. We're a quirk of our system where the government can run out of money, even when it's totally creditworthy. Other countries don't do this. When they default, it's because everything's falling apart, not because the main political parties hate each other. But you know what? That's certainly not a new concern. Uh, And you know what? It did impact AMD and it hurt AMD. And I wish it hadn't because if AMD reported another day, probably wouldn't. So let's boil this down. Let's figure out historically what it means to have our debt downgraded. 
Sure, sure enough, you know what? We're very lucky. We're blessed. We have an analog. Twelve years ago, we had a vicious battle over the debt ceiling that also hurt the economy. What happened? S&P, the other big ratings agency, downgraded U.S. debt in what seemed like almost a cataclysm at the time. The stock market, which had been plummeting before the downgrade, really got smacked down as the nation was plunged into fear and a bit of loathing. And you can see this. If you don't mind, I'm going to walk over here and show you exactly kind of where we were. Uh, the S&P 500, which had been trading as high as 1356 in July of 2011, this is 2011, okay, uh, had fallen to just under 1200 on recession fears stoked by the debt ceiling standoff. When we got the surprise ratings cut, the S&P fell even further, as low as 1,101 within a couple of days. This is a real plummet. This is, altogether, this ended up being about a 19% decline. And it was totally temporary. That's right. This whole thing, all the debt stuff, you could just wipe it away because it was totally temporary. It was an awesome buying opportunity because one year later, the S&P 500 was back up at 1,402. Like the whole thing never happened. The sovereign debt downgrade was an incredible buying opportunity. Bye, bye, bye. I know it often sounds simplistic. You know, it sounds like, oh, yeah, buy opportunity. But it, that's what it was. See, I remember it well. I, I've been at the Philadelphia Eagles training camp. I've, I've been a season ticket holder forever, and I like to think of myself as a friend of the team. I often get to address the players and talk about finance. Most of the time, they're not really interested. I mean, who can blame them? When you're out on a hot field for hours on end, you're not going to want to hear from someone who suggests, well, you know what, you ought to put your 401k in an index fund, or you have to protect that nest egg with municipal bonds because you only need to get rich ones. But when I went during the debt ceiling crisis, I was the most sought-after speaker on the sidelines. One after another, players asked me what it meant for their paycheck, for their savings. Many wanted to know if they could still invest in the United States. Or would this mean that our country might ultimately default on its obligations? I worked hard to try to dissuade people from selling their stocks, going as far as to say maybe they should even think about buying them, but it was all for deaf years. It was actually pretty awkward, because while I was viewed as someone who knew something, the players didn't know what I was doing there, and they were just playing fearful. Like, pretty much everyone else at the time. Believe me, it's a little unnerving when you see a 350-pound pro football player agitated by the S&P's credit rating division. I finally took the bull by the horns that day and said, people, listen, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put money in my 401k as soon as possible. I know it's a pilot, but I think it worked because next year, needless to say, I was the bell of the practice ball. Now, this time, unlike 2011, we came in hot to the sovereign debt downgrade. Not only has tech been on fire, but we also have hapless meme activity with low dollar stocks like, like that of a liquidating trucking company that just went bankrupt or a ki- kitchen canister maker with going concern issues. Both are trading way too hot. I think that means the situation in 2011 is exactly the same. On the other hand, the second ratings agency downgrade is never going to hit as hard as the first one. So just as we can rely on historical examples to draw a conclusion based on 2011, I want to offer another thesis, courtesy of the Bank of America Equities Trading Desk. As of the end of July, Monday night, the S&P 500 was up just under 20% for the year. Do you know that if you go back to 1928, when the S&P 500 is up at least 10% through the end of July, as it is now, there are only three years where the market was lower over the course of the next five months. And all three are pretty easy to understand. The 87 crash, the 29 crash, and 1943, when we were still uncertain how World War II would play out. Now, those are some very powerful, I think, 
dispositive, as we would say at law school, statistics. Will people react in fear to the Fitch downgrade beyond today? I think we won't really get all that much follow through. My gut tells me big money managers use it as an excuse to do some trimming today. Makes sense. As I said last night, I do see some froth in the market, not as much as I expected, but enough to make me concerned. All you have to do is look at which stocks had the biggest short positions, buy it, ride the resulting short squeeze higher. When we get that kind of stupid behavior, you've got to curb your bullishness and husband some cash. I think that's where we found ourselves today. We need to see more fear. I'm not going to say that I want to go back to the Eagles practice field and pull them on how they're positioning their millions. I am saying that the action today was so severe, the sell-offs in tech so vicious, that it's worth waiting to see if we can't get some sort of bottom that's based purely on fear and loathing out in the future. We're looking to put some cash to work for the travel trust. We sure got a boatload of it, but we still think we might get better prices, and that means lower prices. We think they await us. Join the CMEC Investing Club to learn more. Bottom line, I'm not concerned about the Fitch downgrade. I am concerned that too many people remain too sanguine at the moment because that's not what we want to see. When you get too many bulls, it tends to eventually cause a nasty sell-off. So maybe some fear and some loathing are just what's called for. Let's go to Jeffrey in New York. Jeffrey. Mr. Kramer, I'm a club member and first-time caller. Thank you, Jeffrey, for calling, and thank you for being a club member. We're putting out some great stuff. People should really get involved. How can I help? Uh, well, I'm a longtime follower of your advice from when I was appreciating guidance from Reverend Jim. Oh, uh, geez, the old days with Mark Haynes. How much I loved coming home with him. How can I help yeah. you? I bought ULTA Ulta six weeks ago at 185 and declined, has accelerated the last several weeks to below 140. Is Elf and Oddity taking market share in the reason for the decline? Ulta earnings are August 23. What is your advice Uh, and guidance now? Okay, so Elf did have a great quarter. It's absolutely terrific news. There is a correlative to to Ulta. Ulta at 438 is kind of in no man's land. Sells at 17 times earnings. We uh, love Dave Kimball, who is the CEO, and I think Ulta is a very good buy, but it is a very tough Traitor. Let's go to Gordy in Washington. Gordy. Booyah, Kramer. Thanks for taking my call and all my you do. My pleasure. Booyah. What's up? Hey, hey I, it took a while and a lot of hard work, but I finally got to 1,000 shares of Ford, and I'm thinking if I would have done something else, maybe could have made some scratch, but it is what it is. Hang on or sell some. I want you to hang on. I'm not happy. I, fear, uh, I do fear a strike. I also fear that the electric vehicle division is losing too much money. The rest of the company is making a lot of money. They actually did guide numbers up, but they have to figure out a way to be able to make it so the electric vehicles don't drain all their profits. And we'll have to see if that occurs. But it has been disappointing. Let's go to Mitch in Arizona, please. Mitch. Yeah, Jim, Mitch in Arizona. That's correct. Question. Excellent. Yeah. Would you agree that earnings report in most cases are stock killers? are stock killers. No, I think that it depends on where stock is coming into an earnings report. I think there are a lot of companies that uh, people don't believe in, and when they report, uh, they're surprised to the upside. I, I'm going to give you an example, one from the trust. I mean, take Procter & Gamble. Everyone thought Procter was going to miss, okay? Procter did a very good job. The stock has just been straight up. That's an example of what I like to see. There are plenty of buzz kills, like a Qualcomm, tonight, which is exactly what you said, but I'll trump that with a proctor. Let's go to John in Texas. John. Hey, Jim, I've been watching you since the Cudlow days. 
Jeez, people have been hanging with me for a long time. What's up? You guys taught me that earnings are the mother's milk of stocks. They sure are. Hey, Jim, I wanted to ask you about one of my long positions in the aerospace and defense market. Okay. Significant aftermarket position. Jim, what are your thoughts on Transdime? Transdime is a very, very good company, and the aerospace business is very good to them. And I know that they have got a good balance sheet and can do a lot of different things. Uh, It has been in one of my bull market sectors, and I'm going to tell you, I think it's good. All right, look, I am not concerned for our nation because of the Fitch downgrade. I am concerned that there may be too many people right now who are too sanguine about the stock market because we don't want to get too close to a very nasty sell-off in light of what we've been seeing, which is some froth and a belief that stocks don't go down anymore. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Columbia Sports went fell 4% today after earnings. So what's it going to take to have the company dressed for success? I'm going to check in with the CEO. Then it's day three of chart week, and we're bringing in the legendary Larry Williams, the man himself, whose big call on Tesla. Well, let's just say you got to see it. And DoorDash popped after turning a strongly expected quarter in very tough tech tape. I'm taking a bite of the numbers for the company's top brass. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreated in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Top 
number of things in the apparel industry right now. This group has been hated for a year now, and it only seems to get worse. Even for the highest quality operators, this just crushes me. Take Columbia Sportswear, the outdoor, outdoor apparel and footwear company you might know as Sorel, Prana, or Mountain Hardware. These guys just report a solid set of numbers. Big sales and earnings beat 9% constant currency growth. We like that. But even Columbia doesn't believe they can keep this up. Management issued what I call a mixed quarter outlook uh, and cut their full year forecast. Talking about softening consumer trends in the U.S. Worse, they said they'd be, quote, taking a more conservative approach to planning the balance of the year, end quote, which to me sounds like they're going to do some heavy discounting to clear inventory. That doesn't help margins. And that's why I think the stock plunged 4% today. The question here is whether this was a kitchen sink quarter where management torpedoed expectations in order to beat them going forward. Uh, If that's the case, the stock could be a buy. But if there's too much inventory and it can't be sold down, then it's too risky. Hey, you know what? Don't take it from me. Let's talk to Tim Boyle. He's the chairman and CEO of Columbia Sportswear to find out more about what's going on here. Mr. Boyle, welcome back to Mad Money. Great. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. I said, Tim, I got to tell you, I think the stuff's never looked better. Just came back for a big fishing trip. I had nothing but performance fishing gear. I look at the shoes. They're great. The jackets, all the UV. And yet I noticed that you were not happy with the inventory position. You are concerned that things aren't selling well enough. Why is that? Well, uh, for a number of reasons, you know, not the least of which was the uh, logistics issues that we suffered over the last several years. We just ended up with too much inventory. We bought too much uh, in advance of our customers, and we ended up with too much inventory. So we're in the process of making sure that we're working it down profitably. We've got a great strategy that's working quite well, liquidating inventory both through our retail stores, our outlet stores globally, as well as through many of our customers and distributors around the world. So we've got a good plan, but it's never good to have too much inventory. Should we be worried that when we go, say, to the website where you have incredibly high quality merchandise and there it is, 40 percent, 40 percent off, which makes me feel as someone that knows that you are the quality merchant, that perhaps things aren't as good as they used to be? Well, I think they're as good as they used to be, but we... We, we talked yesterday in our earnings call about the cost of carrying inventory, not so much the financial cost, but the logistics cost, the cost to, for warehousing, et cetera. And we want to just reduce that cost, get our SG&A more in line with areas that we can control. And, and we're going to give retailers and consumers great prices so they can, uh, they can enjoy more product. Well, at the same time, look, I don't want to look, U.S. is so important and we know that. The rest of the world, Tim, it's got to be, it's just one of the greatest times to be working at Columbia. Go around the globe because the numbers are extraordinary. Yeah, no, we've been very fortunate. I think we've been quite clear that some markets we've underperformed. So as an example, China, historically, we've had a very rocky road there, but we have the right team and the business there after the pandemic uh, reduction of uh, of. Um, you know, controls has been just exploded and and Chinese consumers are embracing the outdoors and want to go outside. So our numbers there are, frankly, very good. Europe, similar. We've talked about underperforming in those markets. And there's areas there where we've really done well, especially in the UK. And we're very excited about the teams that we have in place and specifically those two markets. But in other markets where we have uh, independent distributors, and that would include uh, places like Israel, Turkey, surprisingly, which has been a, uh, an area where we've done very well. Chile, 
markets around the world that have been come back very nicely. And, and we're excited about the potential there. Right, so what is coming back? What is uh, attracting people's eyes? Because I often find that your place is filled with excitement. And I always like to see what's new. And I know that, for instance, UV products, got to have them now. That's just the way it is. That's why I use them in the garden. Tell me what is selling well, no matter what. Well, the, the UV stuff, and you know, uh, as, as we all talk about the climate and the heating up of the planet, et cetera, it, it plays right into not only our UV stuff, but our cooling technologies. So those are doing very well for us and, and will continue, frankly, as, as the planet warms up. We, but, you know, when it's cold uh, and people need to stay warm and we have great products in the pipeline, to follow up on our OmniHeat Infinity, which is a terrific product. But we've got products that are that are based on um, mimicking nature. So as an example, polar bear technology that we'll talk about maybe in our next time we get together. But these are areas where we can be really impactful and, and be quite differentiating, which is one of the key things we talk about in the company is how are we going to be different? Why would somebody buy our products versus somebody else's? Now, I notice a change uh, at the helm in Prana. I've always felt that you could be one of the key players in this area. Is it in your sights for 2023, 24 to be king or queen of Prana? I think it's queen. But yeah, we've been fairly straightforward when we've underperformed somewhere we talk about it and we fix it and so we have this new leader who's starting in the next few weeks trisha shumavan she's got terrific experience at big brands like nike adi and the gap she knows how to build businesses and i'm convinced that that brand is going to come back with her her leadership and uh so we're, we're going to be very focused on making that a much bigger part of our portfolio. Well, terrific, Tim. And I know once you clean up the inventory, it's going to be really terrific because the stuff does look great and that all and, and feels great and works great. And it's the latter that I always treasure when it comes to Columbia. That's Tim Boyle. He's Columbia Sportswear Chairman, President, CEO. Tim, I love it when you're on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jim. Everybody's back after the break. Coming up. Beware the deep end. The charts bite back. Check into Chart Week when we return. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. So 
Smart Week's back here on Mad Money. Every night we're talking to some of our favorite technicians, get their take on where we are right now. And today we got a real treat for you. It's Larry Williams, the legendary technician and market historian who's been working on his craft for over six decades, writing more than a dozen books, receiving endless industry awards, and creating a host of proprietary metrics that we all take for granted these days. More importantly, he's made a series of truly incredible calls for us over the past few years, practically the only one willing to predict a quick turnaround in the economy in April 2020. Everybody else was thinking, dead, we're all panicking. And don't forget, this year, he's been buoyant when others were expecting a hard landing. What does he have to say going forward? I can't believe you're in our set. Larry, welcome to Man Money. Uh, Jim, thank you very much. Thrilled to be here. Well, what, what an experience. I'm giving you the on floor. Mad money. What could be better? Well, wow. you've made us so much money. Let's see what you have to say. Well... We have the S&P 500, and I think we're going to pull back now as we started today. But we are coming up to a really, really good buying opportunity because, Jim, we're still in a bull market. We're going to rally up. We have an 81% probability. It's a real bias to the market. Starting around September 11th to rally up into the first part of November, a little bit of a pullback, and then back to the upside. So the purveyors of pessimism, they're going to be wrong again. So do I have to... uh Make a little exit here or just say, hey, you know what? We're not going to do that. Let's just let's, go, let's go. do a P and be patient for a little bit. Pull back in here and then get ready to buy again. Perfect. I like that. What's next? Well, if we look at a fit on the past years that have been the most similar to this pattern going all the way back to 1924. There's been a real similar pattern. It also calls for right here, right now, a pullback in the market and then back up. So what we're seeing now, what we started today, not unusual. This is an expectation, more of a time to be patient. Don't get frightened. It's not the end of the world. A pullback, then higher. All right. I like this very much. Now, finally, uh, you watch the commitment of trader support get further confirmation for this market timing. Uh, What do you see with that right now? Well, it's such an important indicator. The commitment of trade report shows what the large but, traders have been doing well, in the market. You follow this guy, right? Is this guy important to you? Or you yeah, stick with that guy. You stick with him at all times? was the first one to ever write about the commitment of trade report way back in 1970 when I learned about it from a member of the, of the uh, Chicago Board of Trade. When they start to sell, the market's in the area of a high. And look what they've been doing. This rally, they were sellers on. And, of course, now we see the market start to break. This is typical of a market intermediate term pullback, maybe a big pullback. We don't know the size of it, but clearly a negative in the market. Another reason to be patient. Be patient. I like the P. That does not mean S. So, all right, now let's move into individual stocks. I'm going to start with one that you know I like. Name my dog after it. Kramer, Fave, NVIDIA rallied a lot. Doesn't mean it's perfect. You know this stock. I think we're close to a high in this market. We may have a little more upthrust in here, but a pullback for the next couple of months. Then we'll look at it going back up. But right here, right now, Jim, uh, I'd be careful. The dog could bite you. Uh, I mean, after all, we've had an what incredible a run. run in the market. There is such a thing as, as greed, right? Yeah, Bulls make money, is. bears make and money. Is it entitled to a pullback? Duh, of course it is. Well, I think that's what we're going to see in the stock. All right, now we got another one. Reported just uh, last night, spoke to the CEO this morning, Lisa Sue, AMD. What are we thinking? AMD has a really interesting wave. I use a lot of cycles and combine them into a wave. This, there's a wave, that's the red line. A pullback now, but a 90% probability of going higher. We've seen this wave nine times in the history of the stock. Nine out of uh, eight out of nine times it has gone higher. So I think 
this is a particular stock that can buck the market trend. How high it'll go, I don't know. But will buck the downtrend? Yes, it should rally. And on the fundamental side, I said that this very morning, so I feel pretty good about that. And then, oh boy, the one that the whole world seems to regard as the stock market, Tesla. Yeah, Tesla, it's been a lackluster compared to the rest of the market. But again, when I look at a cycle wave, and that's what I'm using the software called Timing Solution, we can pull out this different waves and put them back together. And it says, actually, we should be looking for a buy signal now, a little bit of a bounce. Then later on, about October 6th, that's an important day, my birthday. Yeah. And then we'll rally again. So uh, is it a time to liquidate Tesla? No. A time trading range and to the upside. Now, I just want to speak philosophically for a second. Uh, I happen to love the charts and I love your work. And one of the reasons is because I like non-biased, simple, historical information. Your work is based on many things, but it's really history. Uh, and history has been very right when it comes to the stock market, isn't it? Well, I mean, we can learn from history. I mean, all we have is charters of the past. And then we try to extrapolate data to get the future. Now, how do we do that? Some people use trend lines or Bollinger Bands or oscillators, whatever. I found the most effective way is to pull the cycles out because I want to know the future. I don't want to know where the market's been. I want to know where it's going. Right. Uh, people read the waves in the back of a ship. I want to know what the pilot's going to do. And I think the cycles are the driving pilot of the marketplace. Now, and when just for because I know people can be very concerned when you talk about patience. What you say when you see something like today is that you are making a point that we are, unlike what a lot of people think, in a bull market. And in a bull market, you don't flit in and out. You just wait for better opportunities to buy more stock. I think in a bull market, intermediate-term traders will sell big rallies and buy big breaks. Long-term traders will simply hold on. Right. So there's two short-term traders will lose their money because they're day trading. Right. But so an intermediate trader is like, yeah, I'm getting ready for a buy point in here to again get a substantial position in the marketplace because we're in a bull market. We're going higher until maybe the middle of 2025. Till then, I could get really bearish. I'm not always a bull, Jim. Right. I know that. Later know on, that. it could become very bearish. Well, Larry, I really want to thank you. My um, pleasure, it, It's Jim. just thank been so absolutely much. terrific. And I want, want to point out to everybody here that the reason why I feel so good about it, I, should we do Rockwell Automation? Let me just bring in Rockwell Automation because I just sure. had them on last night. <clears throat> is this is the kind of thing that, that let's just switch to Rockwell, that this is the kind of thing that here's a company, you don't necessarily know what they do, right? But that doesn't matter, correct? Correct. So show me where you think this one could go. Well, this is the pattern, the roadmap the stock has okay. been on. And it suggests a dip about now, which makes sense. We right. started to see a dip. But coming up about the middle of August, a little latter part of August, we start back again. I expect new highs in the market and 85% probability of a rally at that time. Okay, because we did have the company on last night. They missed the quarter, and I thought it represented a great opportunity. Anyway, I just enjoy your work so much. Uh, and I have to tell people, this is the way it works. I will email Larry, and I'll say, Larry, I really don't know what to do. What are you thinking? Larry is always gracious, comes back. But also, you fish, you run, you do so many different There are so many facets of your life. One day, we'll just sit down and talk about the story that is Larry. I look forward to that. Thanks, Thanks so again, much. Jim, very much. Thank you. Coming up, what's behind door number one? The Dash is on for delicious returns. Don't forget to tip your dasher next. You 
it had to happen. We're starting to see some profit taking tech after tremendous runs this group has had year to date. But it's a little puzzling to see it happening now that so many tech companies have really started reporting some super earnings. Take DoorDash, which pulled back after five bucks over the last two days. Tonight, though, DoorDash reported an excellent set of numbers, a clean beat and race quarter that shows the company can keep driving impressive growth even as it quickly becomes more profitable. They also gave us much better than expected guidance for the current quarter and raised their full-year forecast, setting the stock up after hours. Deserving. Great numbers. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Tony Hsu. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of DoorDash to hear more. Mr. Hsu, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. It's good to see you again. You know something, Tony? I, I think there were people who said, once things open up, watch how badly DoorDash will do. And I said, no, it's the opposite. DoorDash is an addiction. We all love it. It looks like the latter view, my view, is correct when I see these numbers. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly the numbers, I think, kind of speak for themselves. We've had eight straight quarters now. um, And actually, ever since the pandemic lifted and people got back inside stores, eight straight quarters of 25 percent plus growth on the GOV line, 30 percent plus, you know, on the revenue line. And we've continued to increase our profitability as well throughout the period. So. I think the buyers would agree with your assessment. Well, one of the things that you taught me when I first met you was, look, I got to spend a lot of money. I was more cherry. I said, geez, I don't know. He said, no, in order to win, I got to spend the money. But once it's the right time, we can pivot and begin to make a lot of money. You are pivoting. It's not hurting your top line at all, but it's very clear your bottom line is really coming through. Yeah, well, it certainly is an inflection year, right? I mean, you see that, you know, the revenue is growing in the, you know, 30 percent plus very healthy range consistently. Uh, And the bottom line, though, is growing almost three times year on year. So there certainly is a disproportional growth in the bottom line versus the top line. But I wouldn't call it a pivot. I mean, really, to us, this is, you know, natural growth. We are still on offense. We are still in investment mode. We want to build the biggest size business for the long run. What's happening is you're seeing improving unit economics in the core U.S. restaurants business, improving economics in our investment areas, whether that's growth internationally, growth in new categories like grocery, convenience, and very healthy discipline on our OPEX. I mean, we've had flat OPEX for four quarters in a row, even though revenue has grown about 25 to 30% you know, during that time period. So all of these things are what's contributing to the growth, but it's very healthy, very natural top and bottom line execution. Do you think there's a level where uh, pricing is going to matter? People are starting to think about their bills and say, wow, I didn't know I was spending that much money on delivery. Or do you think they recognize the value of delivery and don't feel compromised by how much they're paying? Well, I think pricing has always mattered. And, you know, it's always been offering the best combination of the selection of the stores we deliver from now over 500,000 on the marketplace, restaurants, grocers, retailers, et cetera, um, as well as the affordability of our, our, our program and the quality of the service. And so I, I don't think we're ever judged on one of these things. And I think, you know, people, even though pricing has always mattered, convenience has always mattered, as has selection and, and, and customer service. And I think that, you know, what customers are seeing is while, um, uh, you know, they're using our service more, especially those who are Dash Pass subscribers, they're actually saving more as they increase their usage. Yeah, I also am proud of you in that you still, at the very top, first paragraph, talk how much the dashers are making. I think I would be remiss to ask you how much, because it's really rather astonishing. Dashers uh, have consistently increased their earnings on the platform. You know, we just turned 10 years old this summer. I mean, dashers now are earning 
25, you know, an hour nationwide when they're delivering. And, you know, that's when I think about this in aggregate, and it's kind of stunning. We've had over 13 million dashers on the platform since we launched the business in 2013 that have earned a collective over $35 billion. And, and this is, you know, while doing the work on average less than four hours a week. And so I think it, we're very proud of the fact that, you know, this is a service that we're designing to work for all audiences. Obviously, it's got to work for consumers. It's got to increase sales. We've generated over $100 billion of incremental sales for merchants, but it also has to work for the dashers. And I'm pleased that it does. All right. After COVID, I know you gave such great uh, breaks to places that stayed open. Uh, uh, people reward you? Did the companies reward you that really kind of got through because of DoorDash? Well, I mean, we didn't do it to get rewarded. We did it because it was the right thing. We would cut our commissions by 50%. We're the only platform and service to do so. I mean, that cost us hundred, you know, plus over $100 million while doing that. Um, and for us, um, that was a time in which the company wasn't yet, um, you know, producing profits like we are today. To me, it was just the right decision. And we've always been building DoorDash to invest in the long run, to grow and to empower these local businesses. And so, sure, it may have cost us in the short run a quarter or two of uh, of cash, but to me, it was absolutely the right decision. And I think that those relationships have continued to blossom. We are continue we continue to be the selection leader. We continue to gain share in the restaurants business in all of these new categories as well as internationally. So I think it is paying off. But that wasn't the reason why we did it. Understood. Very fair. That's a very better. That's a better way to put it than I did. Now, stock-based compensation, I've not asked you about this before. It still seems rather large to me. Uh, hurts profitability? Well, absolutely, we take stock-based comp into you know, perspective. I mean, to us, uh, we, for, for shareholders, we've been building this business from day one to optimize for long-term you know, free cash flow per share. And obviously, the free cash flow you know, needs to take into account stock-based compensation. And so for, you know, for us, when I think about how all of these things are coming together in terms of the business is firing all cylinders in terms of its growth, its improving unit economics. And I look at the OPEX in terms of how disciplined we've been, again, flat for now four quarters in a row. I think all of these things are, are, are coming you know, together in order to you know, take into account all types of compensation, stock-based compensation included. All right. One last question. Competitor uh, Bureau recently did a very good deal with a large pizza chain. Uh, it seems to be added for everybody. If a pizza chains came to you or other chains came to you and said, look, we want to listen to your app, but we still want to do our own delivery. Are you receptive or is that something that DoorDash doesn't want to do? It's something we do today. We actually do this with, you know, tens of thousands of merchants who, uh, you know, whether it's restaurants or pizza shops or um, retailers who actually, you know, sometimes prefer to do, do the deliveries themselves. I mean, that's true in the United States. That's, tr- that's true in the you know, 28 countries that we operate the platform in. And, you know, to us, DoorDash has always been about building the, the greatest number of products so that we can help you grow, whether that's to bring you incremental sales or to help empower you to do it on your own. Sometimes that means offering the fleet of millions of dashers we have access to to you. Sometimes that means giving you the software alone. And I think, you know, by giving merchants the maximal choice, that's why we've been best positioned and become the largest delivery serv- local delivery service outside of China. Well, look, I got to congratulate you. From the very beginning, you had great ambitions, but you also came very humble roots and you never forgot them. It's one of the reasons why it's such a joy to interview you. Tony Shu, co-founder and CEO of DoorDash. It's always fun to talk to you. Thanks, Jim. Winner. Get money back in. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next.
time. It's under the light. We're going to mess right back. Close to the same as playing a blade of sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Keep that to the light round. I'm going to start with Walter in Virginia. Walter. Virginia, Walter. Hey, Jim. Love Cramerica. In, in 2024, we're going to talk about incredible disruptor bioharvest sciences. But for 2023, talk to me about Enovix. Is the battery going to charge me up or not? I, I am not recommending this battery place unless they're making money. And as much as I think it's terrific that you're fired up about this one, I'm going to have to say, let's go to Eddie in Arizona. Eddie. Jim, a dry heat booyah from first time, long time, and Charter Club member in Phoenix. Uh, big thanks to you and your crew for teaching us how to make our money work for us. We just initiated a new position at 84 on a bullpen name that disclosed a manufacturing defect last week. They pulled off so hard. Their 200 period D score is below three at the lows. Uh, 20 billion decline in market cap that day seemed pretty excessive compared to initial repair cost estimates of 500 million, with yeah. less than 1% of previously inspected True. units having issues. Uh, analysts expect 15% earnings growth in 24, okay. 18, and 25. So the four PE is really cheap on the out years. Right. Uh, and they just got a bunch of contracts that exceed the repair costs and the market cap that was erased. So, Jimmy Chill, should I go buy Eddie Money after buying ticker symbol RTX? No. <laughs> Let's go to – no. <laughs> it is in the bullpen, and I do like it. Greg Hayes did a good job, but I think the stock is going to have to meander a little bit. Uh, we'll probably look at 82, 83. If we can get it there, probably will pull the trigger. Let's go to uh, – thank you for that incredible, incredible soliloquy. Let's go to Jason in New York. Jason! Hey, booyah, Jim. Two booyah. quick shout-outs. Just want to shout-out my fiance Danielle. Can't wait to marry you in September. Jim, you're invited. Danielle, man, you're a very lucky woman. Go ahead. <laughs> and secondly, I met you at Total Wine recently. Bought your bottle of Mezcal. I got to say, delicious. Yes, Fosforo. My wife will be so happy if she knew I had a show. What's up? <laughs> My question is about a company with a huge, massive short position. However, tons of new partnerships and the clean energy hype on their side. We got earnings in a week. Plug power. Uh, if it bounces, I want you to sell because I've got to tell you, that company uh, has disappointed for so long. Go buy Lindy. They're the hydrogen company that's a partner. That's the one you want. L I N. Let's go to Michael in Ohio. Michael. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I admire your energy and, and knowledge. Thank um, you. But this is my question. After a yeah. good earnings report, I was sitting on a profit on Live Nation, LYV. Then this rumor of the antitrust action possibly came out, even though I read they're already working under a consent decree, which would make it unlikely. The point is, should I hold it or sell? I think you should hold it. I don't I don't know exactly how much the... the Look, I think that they are in great shape, and the government these days doesn't seem to want companies that are doing in that great shape, but the company is worth a tremendous amount of money. I don't want you to get rid of it. Let's go to Chuck in Georgia. Chuck. Hey, Jimbo. Big booyah from the ATL. Home of the best team in baseball, baby. I hadn't even thought of that, but it's definitely true. Jimmy Chill agrees. What's going on? Hey, man, I called you a few months ago and told you I was bullish on some big data companies. This company's parking lots is full of employees' cars on the weekend when I drove past. I bought this company uh, less than 15 bucks. It soared over 137% in three months. Today, the stock's up 30% based on uh, strong forward guidance. Uh, based on the need for data center infrastructures uh, for computing capacity driven by AI. 
Jim, what are your thoughts on uh, David Cody and Burden? When David Cody decided to get very involved, of course, laid up Honeywell and really drilled down on how Burden was doing was the exact bottom because he turned it around. HVAC come really, really powerful, powerful uh, power transfer company that I think, even though it spiked huge today, I don't want you to sell it because I think there is more to be made. And that legend, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, the cat's out of the bag. Kramer activates the heavy machinery next. Just when you thought it was safe to wade back in, is there danger lurking in the market's murky waters? Kramer's talking to top technicians and going over the great white charts to help you be the bigger fish in this tape. Don't miss Chart Week, all this week on Mad Money. defied concerns of a global economic slowdown. Those are the six words I've seen the most during this earnings season. They're being used endlessly to describe how American industrial companies keep delivering incredible earnings, in spite of what all the top-down macro strategists predicted. These six words imply that our companies somehow collectively pull rabbits out of their hats to put up these unbelievable quarters we've seen. And you know what? There are six words that wouldn't need to be uttered if people would simply listen to what actual CEOs are saying, rather than merely looking at the bond market or listening to the macro commentary and assuming they know more than the people who run these great businesses. Consider the case of Kramer fave Caterpillar. All day today and all the yesterday afternoon, we've been hearing the Caterpillar's quarter quote, defied concerns of a global economic slowdown, end quote. Because that defiance, the stock rallied 8% yesterday or $23, $23 to an all-time high. But we need to ask ourselves, what was defied? When company after company defies concerns of a global economic slowdown, maybe those concerns weren't very serious in the first place, at least when it comes to the corporations we're talking about. CAD makes all sorts of machines for various growth markets, from non-residential construction, mining, to oil and gas, infrastructure, and even data center construction. There's no secret to that. Each one of these markets is doing incredibly well. Sure, you can quibble that the oil and gas markets are down slightly year over year, but infrastructure is up dramatically year over year and only getting stronger. Sure, we hear that data center building may be slowing down, but then we wonder if that can even be a possibility if we believe in the insane growth of uses for artificial intelligence. And we know that the government's creating literally hundreds of billions of dollars in road jobs and commercial construction related to semiconductors, clean energy, and upgrading the power grid, all areas the cat plays in. These, and not simple earth-moving, are the bedrock Caterpillar businesses these days. They're what customers really do with Cat's machines. So I say there was no defiance of concerns because there were no legitimate concerns for this new Caterpillar in the first place. None of those end markets were in free fall or short shut down or turmoil. If you really want irony, the only place where Caterpillar didn't defy the global economic slowdown was China, where business is really bad. But CEO Jim Alvobie has bent over backward to make cattle less cyclical company, and he saw the weakness in China coming, too. It didn't impact the bottom line. You know why? Because it represents less than 5% of the company's sales, by design. And look, it's not like Caterpillar is an isolated example. When Eaton reported yesterday on a company, it, too, quote, defied concerns of a global economic slowdown, end quote. Except, again, I say, what's slowdown? There's no slowdown in Eaton's businesses, electrical equipment, grounding of wires, building a new electric grid, manufacturing sophisticated parts for aerospace and defense. Eaton bet big on what they call the electrification of everything. And there's no defying that trend. 
I have railed endlessly about how the top-down strategists and the journalistic acolytes should hang their heads in shame, given how little they really know about what happens in this economy. Endlessly warning of a recession that has not come or knocking companies that have long since changed their MOs. This new crop of CEOs finds the parts of the economy that wouldn't be hobbled by the business cycle and then doubles down them. That way, they wouldn't have to defy economic downturns because they'd be in markets that had growth no matter what. So, no, CAT didn't defy concerns of a global economic slowdown. That's a false headline. CAT CEO Jim Umpleby decided to steer a course toward businesses that simply aren't slowing down. And that, not some magical sleight of hand, is what gave shareholders that huge gain yesterday, provided they weren't shaken out by the strategist, analyst, journalist, industrial bear complex that is so good at keeping you from making money. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Kramer on this podcast are solely Kramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Kramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Kramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Kramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.